Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Suburbia. The very word conjures up rows and rows of cookie-cutter houses laid out in a vast, grim grid of blah. At the time most of them were built, after World War II, the nation was desperate for new housing. Fifteen million GIs clamoring for new homes and a piece of land in the country. Almost overnight, suburbia was born. But some of those homes are considered architectural treasures today especially if they were made by one particular Silicon Valley real estate developer. KQED's Rachel Myro brings us this Bay Curious story, straight from the heart of suburbia. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQD Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. I'm going to go out on a limb right at the start of this story and suggest that what Victorians are to San Francisco, Eichlers are to Silicon Valley, iconic architectural manifestations of the California dream for their time and place. Bonnie Borton agrees. I would say so. Um, yes. Oh, you live in an Eichler? Oh, and then they want to know, how do you like it? What's it like? And all that. Yeah. <laughs> Borton is an Eichler owner going way back. I'm an original owner. I've lived in the, my home for 60 years. So what are Eichlers? From the front, outside, Eichlers look modest, crisp, angular. But step inside, and your attention is drawn to floor-to-ceiling windows that look out onto the backyard, taking full advantage of California's year-round sunshine. You know that phrase, indoor-outdoor living? This is that. The openness, the airiness, looking up from a window and seeing the sky when you're in the house. 
If your parents or grandparents subscribe to Sunset Magazine, you've seen an Eichler. Because for more than two decades, Sunset's vision of the California Dreamhouse looked like an Eichler. Open floor plans, clean lines stretching in every direction. It's a style that has come to be known as mid-century modern. Even today, when people buy Eichlers and remodel them, they often use Sunset for inspiration. We replaced everything. They, they took it down to the studs. Adita Donnelly of Palo Alto wanted her Eichler to look even more Eichleresque, if you will, than it was when she bought it. Which is to say, she did things like raise the ceiling in the living room and, other than the bathrooms, added sliding glass doors to every room in the house. We designed it so that every room um, has an access to the outside. And I think that idea came from a Sunset Magazine model house for me. But where did Joseph Eichler, the man behind the Eichler homes, get the idea for the Eichler? Let's travel back in time to the 1940s, when the Bay Area businessman rented a house in Hillsborough designed by rock star architect Frank Lloyd Wright. Eichler fell in love. He hired another architect to make him something along the same lines. And then he started thinking about making homes for other people. He was looking around for something to do. A lot of people at that time from other professions were going into home building. David Weinstein writes for the Eichler Network, a website for Eichler enthusiasts. Weinstein says Eichler's vision developed gradually. So his very first subdivisions don't look like Eichler's at all. But then the architect he'd worked with on his own house convinced Eichler to use architects and designers for his tract houses, too, something that most developers were not doing at the time. That's what pushed Eichler Homes onto a different plane of development, the people he had working for him. If that makes him sound a little like Steve Jobs at Apple, well, that would be an apt comparison. They were always innovating, coming up with new ways for space arrangement. It's really the spirit of Silicon Valley. These were experimental houses. Between 1949 and 1974, when Eichler died, his group built roughly 11,000 homes in California, mostly in the Bay Area. You'll find them north, east, and south of San Francisco. But Palo Alto is home to more Eichlers than any place else, more than 2,700 houses packing the tightly curving streets and cul-de-sacs Eichler preferred because they encourage people to hang out with each other. Bonnie Borton knows her neighbors, and her neighbors know her. All I can say is, go Eichlers. This is going to be painful to our listeners, I'm sure, but how much did you pay for it back then? Nineteen five. That's $19,500. Today in Palo Alto, one of these homes can sell for up to $3 million. Some wealthy buyers have bought the property and bulldozed the Eichler to make way for something bigger, newer, I don't know, whatever. So in recent years, some Eichler-rich neighborhoods in Palo Alto and beyond have developed design guidelines or zoning overlays or even historic districts in an attempt to keep their neighborhoods aesthetic cohesive. Rebecca Thompson, another Palo Alto Eichler owner, explains. It's not for every neighborhood, but I do think it's something that's important to Eichler homes. They are a little bit more vulnerable to a lack of privacy because of the way the homes have such large windows. 
On the flip side, you might be thinking, why would someone who can afford to buy an Eichler in Silicon Valley these days want to buy one? Remember, they're modestly sized aging tract homes, some of which now come with zoning restrictions. I asked Thompson, who moved from Seattle to Palo Alto with her husband about eight years ago. Most people, if they move here from elsewhere, they downsize into a smaller home if they were homeowners before coming to California because the cost of living is so much more here. So we downsized into a a smaller house than we had in Seattle. Um, However, we gained access to a large atrium, a front yard, a backyard that we could use for most months out of the year. So we really don't miss the extra space. But over the years, Thompson says, it's the neighbors they've come to appreciate most. The block parties, book clubs, not to mention shared Rolodexes of plumbers, electricians, and interior decorators who specialize in Eichlers. You don't just buy a home, you're, you're buying into a community. To be fair, a lot of track developers thought they were building communities back in the 1940s and 50s and 60s. What's different about Eichler's? Distinctive design and that definite sense, if you live in one, that you're living the California dream. These homes are still genuinely cool. South Bay Arts reporter Rachel Myro, thank you for that story. We're looking for more questions about local real estate and architecture for Rachel to answer. If you've got one, mosey on over to baycurious.org and send it our way. If you've been enjoying the Bay Curious podcast, we've got a favor to ask you. Please consider sharing us with a friend. We rely on word of mouth to grow and really appreciate your help. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at KQED. I'm Olivia Allen Price. We'll be back next week. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. 